They're going to want to be comfortable today. Now, Deshaun Watson's different. He is now an established NFL player. He's been the life preserver for a sinking ship for years. I get that he wants out. That he wants to be in a situation that's allow him to be in a great culture and it's going to allow him to be to thrive on the football field and be successful. You've never heard him complain once. You've never heard him say anything bad about the protection he's got or um, the people around him or, or trades going on. He just, but I think that when you're a quarterback, you need to be put in a position where, where people can count on you to, to, to be a leader of an organization. I think that that's what he wants to do. Because you've never seen somebody age 25 sign a big, huge contract right. like that and then turn around a year later and say, I want out, and there's a new coach and a new general manager coming in. He doesn't even want to talk to them. It, it, where do things stand on that? I, I don't know how that plays itself out. I do know that, in my mind, the first real natural deadline that would come along would be coming up to the draft. Because if you are the Texans and you are even opened the idea that you would move on from him. And by the way, they've given no indication so far that that is the case. Mm-hmm. All this talk about Deshaun Watson being traded, which has been media generated because we can look into the horizon and see what could be out there, whereas the Texans aren't even looking into the horizon. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles in a week where we said goodbye to JG what we reflect on some of the owner's comments and what's actually turned out into reality some potential trade scenarios for Deshaun Watson and it's the deadline for the tag we'll find out at some point today if the Houston Texans will in fact tag any players to remain on this team for perhaps what looks like right now a bit of an ill-fated 2021 season Something I meant to pick up last week in, in terms of the J.J. Watt departure and a couple of bits I missed off my notes, but I think the big thing that will reflect on his time is one of underachievement, of course, but then the, predominantly I'll always look back on when they traded J.D. Clowney in 2014. I think the idea of Rick Smith at that point was have a three-headed monster, you know, a pass rush that would have been feared by many teams. They give you a distinct advantage, could cover up a lot of stuff in your coverage, give guys that extra second to get home at the quarterback. And I think you saw that at times throughout, you know, the, those, the last five, six, seven seasons. Uh, but it never came to fruition, I think, for many reasons. And predominantly injury, that was a big part of it. If you think uh, Clowney on those those trays of turf that they used to wheel out NRG after the the rodeo and the, the monster trucks and it was a terrible surface. Clowney gets his cleat stud caught in between a couple of the trays on the surface energy, tears his meniscus. Week one against the Washington Redskins in 2014 predominantly rot him off for the rest of the season. And 2015 was still a year to work back. He, although he played 13 games, he missed the ill-fated playoff game against Kansas City where the team was shut out 30-0. to And albeit the defence kind of came together in 15 in some senses, they didn't really show what it could be. And then in the 2016, uh, JJ gets his first injury, or the back injury, and only plays three games in 2016. Comes back in 2017 after all 
the 30 odd million up to 40 million as it stands today funding that he came together and pulled the city together and cemented himself probably for the rest of his for the rest of his associations the rest of his time in terms of football and whatever he goes on to do after as Mr Houston in many senses and surpassed probably Andre Johnson and any other favourites and earned that right in terms of how he how he supported the city at a cruel time and and you know in in some ways similar to what people went through last week but he goes off the field against Kansas City that Patel tendon injury um and you know back and Patel tendon you know two crucial parts of of physiology movement skills for a defensive line but he still makes it back in 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 uh, in 18 to try and get one of his best games but I think 18 was the only time you saw it come together, all the, albeit the team started 0-3 that season, but the game in Indy uh, where Clowney and, and Watt sat on the edge, predominantly of a four-man front, and got home and got after luck. Clowney scored a touchdown after Watt forced a fumble. There was another forced fumble later on in the game which gave the Texans you know, a, a field of five yards to drive and a fade out to Hopkins, uh, put put the put the team up. They're up eighteen points that day. Almost lost in overtime. If it hadn't been for Frank Frank Reich's injury. But the point I make is, if it hadn't been for prolific pass rush that day, they wouldn't have won that game, and they wouldn't have been close to winning that game. So there is a huge amount to be to be gained by having a, a solid pass rush. You saw that in the Super Bowl. With Tampa Bay and how and how much they got after Mahomes and and you saw that you know against Green Bay in the, in the NFC Championship game and you know and the year that the Eagles won it um, against the the Pats in Minnesota that that was a big reason why they won is because they had you know there were three four deep at pass rusher so you know and if you look back even the twenty eighteen game the week after against the Cowboys at home. And there was, you know, a, a, I remember watching that line that night and it looked like a really formidable front seven when you had Clowney on the outside, Watt on the inside, you had Merciless coming in, Duke Edgefor was still playing at that point. You had Brandon Dunn, DJ Reader in the middle, you know, McKinney and Cunningham both playing at a high level. McKinney played for, for he's probably his best season in 2018 coming off that contract extension. So... You know, that, that defence at that point looked great, but I think the, the issue was, you know, talked about it before in the show, JJ's refusal to kick inside or, or Romeo's inability to scheme those guys together. Now, during that 2018 season, they had the, the benefit of Kareem Jackson and Tyron Matthew in the back end. So they played a lot of 3-4 overlooks, predominantly zone cover two, and they didn't find enough ways to get five down linemen or four down linemen looks to get all three of those guys on the field enough. And when Merciless was on too many times, he was dropping into coverage. And it was a big problem for the team that they never got the most out of that defence. That 2018 season was probably the year that it could have come together in a better way than it did. And I think it was it was an awareness of the team, an awareness of the front office that they weren't using quality players at the prime in the best way possible. So... That was just a small reflection on JJ's year that sh- probably sh- you should have really seen things come together in 2018, and for you know for a number of reasons that didn't happen. His hundred million dollar contract, you know, which at the time seemed like a lot of money, at some point to that contract it seemed like a great deal. Only averaged five sacks, uh, but missed a hell of a lot of games from from uh, from 2016 onwards, and it's a shame that those injuries 
and a lack of you know and a lack of coaching, a lack of scheme ability, didn't get the best at that defense because Walt playing on a defense consistently for three or four years with with you know good pass rushers and good corners probably should have produced more more than individual brilliance. But a guy who's who'll be missed, and I think it's uh, I don't think we'll ever probably understand how truly lucky we have been with some of the players we've had at the top end talent of this roster until we're looking to replace them. And 21 is going to be one of the first years we're going to do that. So I think people will probably look back fondly on so many highlights. You know, many franchises go their entire existence in 40, 50 years steeped in history and never have a player like that. So just want to touch upon JJ again this week because he'll be dearly missed um, in terms of his playing ability and still got a number of years to go in terms of production. Obviously, all the, all the thoughts go out to people last week, probably when we recorded the podcast early Tuesday. Last week, we didn't quite understand the level uh, of impact, the, the weather and therefore the outage of power in, in Houston. So anybody listening in Houston, I hope your life's got some level of normality to it. But certainly the uh, a strange time period um, when, albeit extreme weather, uh, by Houston standards and, and grinding, a major metropolis to a standstill. So hopefully everybody's got their their life, you know, back together or a semblance of, of, of some normality while still in COVID, um, that it's coming back together for you. Um but I think that the one thing you've seen a lot of people help out and you've seen Deshaun, you saw Charles Amene who you saw Titus Howard and you know multiple players going out and buying meals and supporting people when they're when they need it the most and and of course, Cal McNair was out there and Mark Berman was there on point, uh, usually the man known for catching everybody at the airport as they come to Houston. But he was there to sp- speak with Cal and obviously had some Twitter clips that he put out there for people to see. And interesting insight, I thought. And like what I appreciate some points, it's been microanalysis of small points and reading of the tea leaves and trying to understand what's going on with the team, but only because the results and the, the moves have been so baffling, I suppose it, it brings you to that point rather than focusing too much of what's on the field. But interesting insight into Cal McNair and how he and his wife interacted. I thought it was a, a very revealing point of how he was asked a question. Uh, I suppose they were both asked a question, but completely talked over um, by his counterpart. And what 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 I thought seemed very very sort of pertinent about that was an insight into his interaction and his character and and how that and how that interacts with a dominant personality and somebody who is willing to take the situation and and look I know it's a simple interaction but it's certainly something I think that that's been a, a perception of Cal that the the dominant characters strong personalities he's willing to nod along and smile. And go with whatever they say and sign it off. And long as you know that justification is given, then he's, he doesn't ask too many questions. And I think the lack of diligence and the lack of ability to understand the process end to end of how this team works, despite being sitting understudy for 12, 13 years, he doesn't quite understand that yet. And that was, I thought, that was an interesting insight. wasn't a wasn't a character who commanded the the question, wanted to answer it. And just sat back there nodding. Now, of course, they've got masks on. Of course, it's not a normal situation. And it, you could easily see making something of a situation. It's not, but I think you can read body body language. You can read the way in which people take on tasks. 
and be confident about asking that question. I don't think he was. I thought it was an interesting point. And it comes back to a number of points this off-season or a number of comments that have been said by the owner and they've not necessarily come to fruition. If you think he said Easterby would not be involved in the search for the GM, he ultimately de facto picked the GM and in the terms of the head coach, debatable, but certainly it doesn't scream like a Casario hire when if you thought first time after 14, 13 years, sitting number two gets your first chance and that's the guy you pick. I think there's probably some more influence as a play than purely what Casario wanted. He said the next head coach would be a leader of men. I think David Cully's a nice guy. He could be a great community leader. He could be somebody who would you know, draw consensus, but he's certainly not a leader of men, as he was, as he said in his interview with the Texan staff. And then he, he also said in that same interview with Mark Vandermeer, he said this wasn't a rebuild. He was very clear on that. He said it was more of a reset. And then when he uses his language addressing some of the national media figureheads and the what release, he used the word rebuild and effectively they are now in a rebuild. And he also said number four and 99 are both aligned and they're the guys we want in our team and one leaves less than a month later and the other one has a trade request pending so and still unanswered. So just an insight into the owner again. And I, I, it's easy to, to pick on somebody who's not necessarily got the, the greatest command in terms of personality and he described himself in that same interview reference as an introvert and that may well be the case but if it just another example of there's just something quite not quite right there and obviously this football team will continue to suffer as a result of that and a bit of player news this week of course we want to talk about football they make it sometimes impossible Dontry Hilliard as a return specialist becomes the third player signed this off-season um, along with Quisenberry, uh, the brother of former Texans lineman, it comes in at tight end, former naval, four years in the Navy rather. And he uh, obviously very much a company guy who's going to follow instructions and probably follows on the theme of the culture and the guys they don't want to speak out of turn. Can't say we know that much about Dontre Hilliard, although it's probably clear to point out and it's, it's a small point of a punt returner but it's a role that is, is needed DeAndre Carter did not fill that CJ Procise was on the roster last year filled in that role despite admitting to media members he never actually attempted that role historically in his career uh, but they gave him a go at that he was released at some point in the season Hillier was there but didn't really get any action a lot of a, a lot of kneel downs and in, uh, in, in Ball's going back out of the end zone on kickoff returns. So it'll be interesting to see if he has any mileage, but it's certainly a position of Texans and a special team as a whole in 21 are going to need to be strong at if they're going to make up for the lack of talent probably elsewhere. And of course, the question is this week, will they tag Will Fuller that the franchise tag is appropriate for a guy who's missed games and predominantly last year through suspension. Now that suspension may hurt his stock, but but one thing you got to remember about Will Fuller, there's not a lot of guys can do what he can do on the field in terms of that raw speed, 4-3, 4-4 guy who can take the top of defence, make the safeties respect his speed, opens up the playbook. And I think, you know, we talked about never getting the big three pass rushes together. And I think the amount of games that Hopkins and Fuller played together predominantly through... Fuller's injuries are almost all heartedly through Fuller's injuries, you know, robbed fans and robbed this offense and robbed probably the team of better seasons, particularly that 2018 injury on the Thursday night football where he got 
the, the ACL tear, you know, towards the back at latter end of the season. The team were playing well at that point. But that was a point where he was clear of the man. He took a swipe at him as he scored the touchdown and he just caught, caught, caught his weight, went one way, his leg went the other as he scored a touchdown. And probably a big turning point for him because he was playing really, that was his best ball to that season. Obviously last year was the, his best consistent football in terms of points scoring, in terms of yards and in terms of efficiency, you know, take, catching the ball long downfield. But there's not a lot of guys he can can do what he can do. And I think their intentions with Fuller will be a big insight into where they think the relationship or the ability to fix the relationship with Deshaun Watson sits at this stage of the off-season. Now, we know that or from all reports that he has not got back in contact with the team and he continues to shun their calls, texts, etc. So there's a, a, a still a long way to go to fix that. But it, I think if you do not think as a front office that Deshaun Watson will be playing this team or is there a likely chance he will hold out then tagging Will Fuller for you know, $14, $15 million next season doesn't make a huge amount of sense considering they're tight against the cap. Whatever that might be, we, we saw the minimum has been raised now to 180, might be somewhere 184 million, 182 million in that range. Watson's ability to stay, it might even be one of these moves where you speculate to see if you, you continue to keep Fuller as another move to help convince Watson. But obviously we know that that's... That the, the issues are, are far deeper than that, but it would certainly help. I think that the most likely outcome you'd, you'd prefer with Will Fuller, I think, considering the salary cap number dropping, as I mentioned, and this is an unprecedented number of wide receivers. You know, you've got guys like Chris Godwin, who potentially could be tagged in Tampa Bay, didn't have a great Super Bowl, but a great year coming out of Penn State is a kind of predominantly slot guy, but showing he's going to get, get paid this offseason. You've got Alan Robinson, who's, you know, longed his whole career in particular we saw him in Jacksonville and then and, and did you saw him what he did against us in Chicago in week 15 so there's a lot of guys that could go out there and command a big deal but the the, the amount of salary cap dollars is suppressed due to COVID and the, the reduced income of the league and also there's a huge supply of, of talented wide receivers so it's not a good year to be at that position there'll be a lot of value deals had similar to what Robbie Anderson Got when he went to Carolina, he missed the first and almost the second wave of free agency last season. It only ended up with just over nine about million dollars a year. So could the Texans come to some sort of incentive laden deal with Fuller, where he's he's paid on appearances, he's paid on touchdowns, etc., where it actually de-risks the the amount of dollars that you put into that, and actually it may make sense for. Fuller and his camp to take a two or three year deal to see him through and once the new television contracts are negotiated with the league which by all accounts talks have already started on that the league are demanding double the revenue so the salary cap's got a huge amount to jump in the next two to three years so taking a, 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 a perhaps a smaller discount or a smaller cap number for the next couple of years could pay dividends if he can put a consistent number of years together still a young guy still got another probably five six years at, at the top of his talent it may make sense for both parties to come to that now the fact they haven't come to that to this point this offseason probably more of the legacy of the mismanagement of the team's offseason and off-field matters including cap um, and we'll see if that materializes but it would it certainly make sense for the Texans In the absence of news and a couple of weeks removed from any real football action, 
the, the rumours or the speculation of potential trade packages for Deshaun Watson continues to swirl and Carolina seems to be the emerging favourite. Denver is the, the bookmaker's sportsbook favourite at the minute for whatever reason. They're the two teams that continue to, to be noted beyond the obvious of Miami and the New York Jets. The New York Jets, obviously, in Miami having an issue with the limited roster. I thought that the article in The Athletic was a, a good point of, of talking about not only Watson's character and, and his close circle and what trust means to him, and he feels that the ownership's broken that trust, and they reference his barber, and I thought it was a really good read. If you've not read that, check that out. I thought that gave a nice characterization of, of Watson and, and the kind of guy he is and why actually being lied to, not being kept in the loop, actually means a lot more to him than it would to be your average NFL highly paid star. But certainly in that article as well, it also pointed out that, again, a source close to him, so the validity of these remain to be seen or proven. But there was a, a piece where it, 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 re it outlined that there's a, obviously an acknowledgement from the Watson camp, and as you'd expect, so that if he goes to you know, some teams that are higher up the draft board and they give up a number of picks for him, then their rebuilding ability or building ability to get to championship level is hindered by that. So I thought that was interesting that that's been pointed out. So, of course, the, there is the continual reference to they have a list and you've got to think Carolina being on the list, playing in South Carolina, albeit the, the Panthers based in Charlotte, just over the border in North Carolina. But considering the owner, a long time, David Tepper, from a financial background, played stocks and shares, was a minority owner, in Pittsburgh for a long time. Now he's got his chance. He's shaking up the front office there. It's very much Matt Rule's program. He showed it Temple and he showed it Bailey's willing to do that. And I think if any owner is probably likely to make a splash and be comfortable with going for a guy like Watson and giving up more than what the, the fair share of draft picks would be and what people would deem as an overpay, then I think you, you could very well look towards the Carolina Panthers. They've got a chance to definitely be in the running for it. I think Watson would instantly accept that and, and waive his no-trade clause. The off-field revenue and income and intrigue to unite, because effectively a lot of Carolina is, is, is deemed as a, as a college it's football allegiances by fans, but they've got a huge chance from Clemson, South Carolina, all all the a whole new base of fans to open their their program up to if they got a guy like Watson and again from neighboring states and they it would be a culture fit I think for for them in that region and and give them ability to unite fans right across all the borders of the states round there considering Watson's imprint from Georgia to to Clemson and then it would be to Charlotte. So there's there's definitely a, an opportunity there for them to, 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 to make sense of it off the field more than just on the field, more so than probably all the other teams that are on it on the supposed list. But we've got Peter King's scenarios of you know two first two seconds and a number of players that would hurt to give up. And I think that's that would be a part of it. But you know the Texans would definitely look to try and bring back some talent the opposite way in terms of proven players rather than just wholly getting a, a, a draft haul of picks. But at the same time, I think if you think you're going to give three three or four good you know good players, two sort of upper-end stars, two solid players, and then four draft picks, only two of which are first round, I just don't think people are anywhere near the realms of what it would tempt Nick Casario to move on if the situation did become so bad. Now, Casario's 
very much of an opinion at this stage that unequivocally he will not trade the Shomots and heroes. If he lets a guy like that go, he could he could be here for the six years and some of his contract and never find a player that can do what he can at that position and how difficult that's to find. Well, and as we saw prior to the Watson Mahomes draft class of the 15 years prior, there wasn't a single player who's now still on the roster that was drafted by that team. So even getting picks in the first round isn't a fix for Houston. So it needs it would need to be a number of picks. And I, I think four first rounders plus picks um, if you can get them, or it's three, it's three first, three seconds, and a number of players. You're talking two or three you know, top-end stars. Because that, that, you're going to have to be able to rebuild your team quickly. Um, and some of the players that, you know, it was Mike McGlinchey was was mentioned in there, a, a running back on, on a second contract with, you know, the Texans have already invested in that position uh, with Titus Howard and Laramie Tunsil. And running back, which I can assure, I'm sure, of the valuation of the roster, there would nobody would come in and over-invest and take, you know, on chunky contracts for running backs in the future based on the lack of success that, we, that we've had here. So it feels like the value is not necessarily there of what it would take from a Texans point of view for it to make sense. Now, we've seen a number of times the last couple of years it's not made sense. You've got to hope that Nick Casario, despite whatever limitations Easterby and his influence will, will, will put on Casario being successful, that that the, the, there should be a hyper sensitivity around what kind of draft value they can get back for Watson but when Peter King a guy who's very well connected very long time league if he's putting out that level of pick he'll have researched that he'll have spoke to front office so if that's the the belief alone belief around the league circles then there may be some truth to that and that's the kind of level teams would be willing to pay as a ceiling and if that is the case then I think very much we will we'll see you know no deal done Casario saying thanks but no thanks to all the all the deals and that are put on them right up till draft night. And there will be look, there'll be temptation there, I think, if it goes right up till 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 uh, they're sitting in the war room and he's got all his colleagues around him and there's pressure on him to make a decision. For my money, anywhere near the level of value that you need to get back if you're even going to attempt to replace him. Whatever you get, I think full stop, and I've said that a number of times, is not enough to replace him. But if you can get somebody to pay over the odds of what would be deemed a market value, albeit not ever going to be a true repl- representation of Watson's value, then you know you we need to be in the in the multiple multiple first multiple seconds multiple players to even make it justifiable and you need to then to be able to quickly get a quarterback who you believe in and I think the probably the biggest thing is if there's not a belief that any of these quarterbacks are got the potential to be as good as Watson a known quantity versus a total risk quantity of a fifteen year track record sample size that isn't that quality. Then I think we're, we're hopefully this is going to mean that the Texans will turn away the offer, shun them, but that could very much be a standoff and a st- and a staring contest right through the off season until Watson is uh, rep- required to to report after week eight for his season not to lapse and it to count against his for his contract so he can get an accredited season by the Players Association and the league. So it could go on some. But we will be back next week to hopefully to take a look towards free agency and covering off any news, partly the weather, partly 
um, this time of year the news cycle dips somewhat but just want to keep coming every week with some news snippets I'll be back next week with a guest um, after the the uh, impact of the weather affecting people's schedules trying to get people on the last couple of weeks so flying solo once more but thank you very much for listening and you can check us out at podcasttexans.com at podcasttexans on Twitter and on Facebook